0: Listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Let's turn to God tonight once more in the Word of God to the book of Haggai.
1: Uh, Haggai in the first chapter. Again, this is our third study in this uh, little minor prophets that has a very major role in the work of redemption. So we'll read from Haggai chapter 1. We're going to read from the verse number 1. We're looking for the Lord again to bless His Word to our souls this evening. In the second year of Darius the king, In the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? and this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that, ath- he that earneth wages, earneth wages, to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and bring, build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and though it came to little, and when ye brought it home I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. And therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And he called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Amen. May God be pleased to bless his word again to our souls uh, tonight. So we are introduced in Haggai to the second year of Darius the king and the sixth month and that date in history is a date that marks the time when the building, the rebuilding work of the temple has grown to a halt. And that's where we are in the history of the work of God. We noted back in Ezra chapter four. Ezra chapter four, in the verse number twenty-four, the word of God says, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Then the prophet Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem. And so we're coming to a point, the work of God has ceased, and now the word of God is intervening for the well-being of his name, the glory of his name, and for the good of the Lord's people. And so the people are back in the promised land. This account again follows after the captivity in Babylon. There's the restoration time, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. And at this point, they are working in the rebuilding of the, the temple. This is before the time of Nehemiah. And initially, there were encouraging signs. The foundations are laid. There is some progress made. And then the work stops last time we asked the question, what is it that caused the Lord's work to stall? And we noted that there was, first of all, a wrong response to persecution. Ezra 4 is all about opposition to the work. Matthew Henry says this, though those who are employed for God may be driven off from their work by a storm, yet they must return to it as soon as the storm is over. And that was the sense that they had been blown off Their work, the storm had come and they had been distracted, and the work had stopped. It was a wrong response to the persecution of the time. They were also forgetful or ignorant about the purposes of God. God had promised that the 70 year captivity would come to an end, and He was bringing the people back in fulfillment of that word the word to Jeremiah and also word through Isaiah. And thus, clearly, it was the time to build. God had said the 70 years would come to an end, and it was undoubtedly God's time to rebuild. And yet they were saying, the people were saying, verse number two, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And such reasoning indicated that they were ignorant or forgetful of the purposes of God in time. And there is one additional thought to this, and that is, when you come to analyze the dates here, there is debate, but there's quite a substantial body of thought that believes that at this point, the 70 years were not yet up. Now, it all depends when you begin the 70 years of the captivity and you date that, but there are some, and you know, they work out the dates and they work out the time that Zerubbabel returns and there's likely about a 16-year time of inactivity. Here, this is not a short time of inactivity. There's a law for a long time. guys, ministry began at 520 B.C. And so depending how you calculate the 50 years, it may well be that some were saying, well, it's not yet time. They were using prophecy as a means to excuse their inactivity. How that still can be the case. People say, well, the Lord's not yet returned. There's plenty of time. There's time to build. But of course, we know that in this New Testament age, well, there's never a time, When we are exempt from evangelizing the world, it is always a time to be about the work of the gospel in our time. And so there was this ignorance or forgetfulness of the purposes of God. Undoubtedly, there was unbelief regarding the power of God. Uh, They were fearful. They had succumbed to unbelief about God's power and God's ability for His work to continue. And the fourth place, and this perhaps is the central message of Haggai, there was misplaced priorities in the work of God. They had placed their own comfort over the glory of God. Verse number four. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste. They were building their own comfortable homes, panelled, they'd have sealed, panelled homes, some degree of luxury and pleasure, and they'd forgotten about the importance of the Lord's work. Now, we must beware the proud heart that would suggest that we would be beyond such a thing in our day. That persecution, or forgetfulness, or unbelief, or misplaced priorities, we should not presume that these things could not derail us in our work for the Lord. In fact, history is littered with churches that have become derailed in their work because of these things that distracted them from the work that God has for them. Well as we come to Haggai One, we work our way down through the portion, and we see that now the people of God, having this time of inactivity, have found themselves living in difficult days. Verse six is a is a is a, is a word that is full of pictures, ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but you have not enough ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink, and then at the end of this you earn wages, but you put your wages into a bag with holes. You imagine you go for a day's work, you get your coinage, and you put the coins into the bag with holes, and you work your way home, and you get back home, and oh, all that work, and it was for nothing. And that's the point he's making. You can do all this work, you can work very hard, but it's coming to nothing. Now, we, we know this in our days. There are times when a struggling economy leads people to work harder, longer hours, to seek to maintain a standard of living. And yet it seems to be the case that all their work, all their industry, and yet it's coming to nothing. And perhaps that's part of the mindset. Perhaps the people have come to the point in their minds, there's this time of of this difficulty, there's a drought upon the land, verse number 11, and they're saying to themselves, you know, I've got to keep my family. I've I've got to work hard to maintain things. This is not a time to be involved in the Lord's work. Clearly, providentially, life is difficult right now. And it is a time uh, to get about our own business. And so as we seek to maintain a standard of living, so tiredness sets in and people are too tired to be involved in the Lord's work. Such is easily the case in our day and generation. We undoubtedly know that that work is commendable. Labor is ordained of God, it's honorable. But there are times when we set ourselves a standard of living That requires that we work, and we work, and we work, and we work, and we get fatigued, and we are too tired and too busy to be involved in the Lord's work. And in that context, the Lord comes and speaks to His people. And so He comes and seeks to explain to them what is the reasoning behind this field harvest. How come they have sown much and bring in little What is the reason for the drought upon the land and upon the mountain and upon the corn? That's their experience. They are experiencing that. They're feeling the challenge of it. But Haggai now comes and gives them the explanation. So let's begin as we examine this poor field harvest. Let's think of the cause, first of all, the cause of this poor harvest. Undoubtedly, it's less than expected. Verse number 9, Ye looked for much. And lo, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why was there a field harvest? Well, it was not due to the lack of hard work. This is not the case when the vain person fails to till the land. You have Proverbs 12 that speaks of that. He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that falleth vain persons is void of understanding. This is, this is not the case here. These are not people who are failing to till the land. They have sown much. They've been industrious, and yet the harvest is failed. They are those who have gone forth and wept, bearing precious seeds. And yet there is a withholding of the sheaths at this time. And so the cause of the poor harvest is not a lack of hard work, nor is it due to the hindering conditions. This is the promised land. It's a fertile land. It's a land that is full and flows of milk and honey. This is not a, uh, it's not a land that is barren and difficult to cultivate. It's a land that's easily cultivated, brought forth much fruit over the years. So why would such a poor harvest occur? Well, very simply, we're told, it is due to the hand of God. Verse number 9, I did blow upon it. Verse number 11, I called for a drought upon the land. Such, of course, is in fulfillment of the very promises of God, promises of threatening in Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26 in the verse number 18 and following, the Word of God says, And if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass, and your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield or increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And so, in covenantal terms, uh, people that were marked by disobedience were under the very threatenings of the curse of God, one of those signs being the lack of a successful harvest. Now here As a preacher in the New Covenant, there is a need for great care in the proper application of the Word of God. Here we find the people. They have succumbed to laziness and a sluggardly attitude in the Lord's work. They've been industrious in their fields. They've been industrious in their homes. But when it's come to the Lord's work, they've let the Lord's work fall away. And so it's easy for a preacher to to rebuke and to stir up the people. And you often get to the point that the sensitive person has a letter of resignation written by the end of the sermon. They've left their job. They're going to walk away even from their home life. And they're going to say, well, I'm going to go all out and I'm going to serve the Lord in this full-time capacity 24-7. Well, we know, I trust you know, that is not what the Word of God teaches or demands Everybody has their own unique calling. We are to work six days. There is the necessity of being industrious, caring for our family and meeting those temporal needs. And so how do you apply this? How do you apply a very particular situation? This is the time when they were told to rebuild. This was their duty. And they had misplaced their priorities. They had, they had gone overboard in their own comfort and their own convenience. But that may not be our challenge. But there is, I believe, a direct comparison. And that is found over in Matthew chapter 6 in the language of Christ when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount. Because what you're seeing happening here is anxiety in the things of this world can hinder kingdom usefulness. And if we become overwhelmed with anxieties regarding this world we will feel to make ourselves useful in the cause of Christ. Matthew 6, chapter 6, and the verse number 19 says this, "'Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, "'where moth and rust doth corrupt, "'and where thieves break through and steal. "'But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, "'where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, "'and where thieves do not break through nor steal. "'For where your treasure is, "'there will your heart be also.'" And so here you have the exhortation of Christ, that as God's people we are to be heavenly focused and heavenly minded. We're not to be concerned about storing up earthly possessions, but rather we are to have a desire for the things that remain, the salvation of souls, the edifying of God's people, those treasures that we store in heaven. A likeness to Christ, a love for Christ. Now, when you go down the end to the end of this chapter, the Lord says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here's the other side of this, a prioritizing of the kingdom of God, a focused mind on that. And these two things, storing up treasures in heaven and seeking first the kingdom, they bracket a section dealing with the subject of earthly anxieties. And so the Lord is showing us here that when we take thoughts for our lives, what we shall eat or drink, so such a moderate anxiety can hinder us from being useful in the affairs of the kingdom. Now, for us, it may not involve the use of brick and mortar in building a temple, but the same application can be made that we lose sight of the things of greatest importance. And whilst it is legitimate to build houses and it is legitimate to sow fields, it is legitimate to work hard, Yet these things, if they are misplaced in our hearts, will indeed hinder the progress of the kingdom. And so there is a pertinent word of application that we must be careful. Because what we find, and we find this very, very seriously in the work of God today, we live in a time when the cost of living in this society is getting higher and higher and higher. And as the Lord's people, there is a desire to seek to maintain a certain standard of living. And to do that, there is a need to work harder, longer hours, more overtime, doing this and this and this and this and this, in order that you can maintain this standard of living. And the consequence is that people have no time, no time to read the Word in their families, no time to be in prayer privately. They have no time to be in the house of God. They have to work seven days a week, not six. They have to work evenings. They have to do everything because the world is pressing in upon us and we find ourselves struggling to maintain a standard of living. How you work this out in your own life is between you and the Lord. And we're going to say it at the end. But you should at least be aware of the potential that you may become distracted with those things that are legitimate in such a way that it hinders you from being useful in the service of the Lord. And it may be necessary that sometimes you ask yourself the question, what can I do without in such a way that it would enable me to be involved more fully in the work of God for my own soul, for the souls of my family, and for the well-being of the church of Christ? Now, I am not, please be clear, I am deliberately not blinding your conscience. I'm not suggesting for a second that you should do this or that. I'm asking you to think about this situation and the potential that the word of God would come to you as it came to the people of God in Haggai's time. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? And so there is the cause of a poor harvest, which leads us directly to the second thought, which is the chastisement of a patient God. Because what the Lord is doing here, He's chastening His people. They've had years, come here, say about 16 years of inactivity. And thus there's been this time when they've not been involved as they ought to be in the rebuilding of the temple. And the Lord comes in grace. And you see, using drought, he brings the peel back to attention. My son, despise not thy the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. I'm encouraged. When I think of the chastening work of God, for it reminds me that God delights in our restoration rather than forsaking us. When God chastens our our lives and chastens our hearts, it's an indication of his love toward us. Rather than forsaking us and saying, well, they are useless, I'm going to use these people, he is kind and tender and gentle, and he brings us back to himself. He restores us, and he does not forsake us. That's an encouragement. I'm also encouraged that as you read these words, God in his mercy has not sent in an army, nor has he returned them to captivity. He has gently come alongside them, caused them to suffer earthly loss while maintaining their souls. And he's brought the word of God to their hearts. You see, when you look at God's work here, what He's done, He has given them adverse providences, challenges to catch their attention, to arrest their minds, to cause them to ask questions. Is it time? And as they experience the providences and they ask the questions, then God, in His mercy, He sends a prophet along and says, Here's the reason. Thus says the Lord, how gentle and tender and kind. Oh, the Lord, the Lord does not carelessly use the rod. Some parents are over quick to use the rod. They will not bring the child alongside and use those words of exhortation and admonition. They are quick with the rod and slow with the word. The Lord, he is pleased to bring the word, to exhort and encourage and rebuke. And yes, at times he will then bring the rod also. What a gracious and a kind God he is. And as you come, living in days of adverse providences, I encourage you, I ask you, come, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, wanting, waiting to hear from the Lord. Do not come to the house of God with your word for God, but wait for God's word for you. Asking God to speak directly to your soul, as we live in days when undoubtedly our attention is arrested. And every day something happens that causes us to, to prick up our ears and wondering, Lord, what are you doing in the world? Oh, well, then come with a heart wondering, Lord, you're bringing us week by week to the Word. What are you going to say to us? I don't claim to be a prophet or a summer prophet, but I do claim to be one who brings the words of the prophets to your souls. And do pray, pray much. Pray much that God bring His Word week by week in this place and that we would have a heart to hear And to understand what the word of God would say to us in these days. And so that is the chastisement of a patient God. And then finally, please note the consideration from the prophetic message. When all is not well in the Lord's work, and we are living in such days. When all is not well in the Lord's work, it is time in the language of verse number five to consider our ways. Literally, it is to set our hearts to your ways. It is to take these things directly to your heart. It involves the necessity of sober self-examination. Not blaming everybody else. Without first examining your own hearts, consider your ways. not your neighbor's ways, not even your spouse's ways. Consider your own ways. Consider your own hearts. It's an internal work, a private work, to search your souls. God encourages such. Psalm 119, verse 59, I thought on my ways. Proverbs chapter 4, ponder the path of thy feet. Lamentations 3, verse 40, let us search and try our ways. Look and scrutinize our hearts. Have we allowed worldliness and carnal anxiety and spiritual lethargy to creep into our souls? When the Lord is in our lives, but just not first, have we come to that point in our souls? That honestly, examining our hearts, we've got to confess that is indeed the reality of our souls. There is this necessity of sober self-examination. And there is a need to have guidance in that matter of self-examination and that guidance of the Scriptures. And that we allow the word of God to direct our minds in these things. That's what Haggai does. That's what's happening here. They're to consider their ways. And as they consider their ways, Haggai comes and brings the word to their hearts. Self-examination is not about self-flagellation like the Romanists would suggest. It is bringing yourself to the word of God so that you have the rebukes of God's word, but also the comforts of grace. Now, you see in the word of God, every provision is met in Christ Jesus, that you can ask for the Spirit and know that you will receive the Spirit of God, that having, having given us, given us His Son, He will freely with Him give us all things. And so allow the word of God to guide your self-examination. And thirdly, look for the outcome of your self-examination, which is repentance, And we'll come back to these things. Verse number eight, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. The work has stopped. People are often good at saying, woe is me. I need to do better, I need to resolve to pray more, I need to be more faithful in evangelism, I need to be more faithful in instructing my children, and we we understand the lack, we understand the need. But nothing changes. We are perceptive of our sin, and we are perceptive of our duty, but we fail to get back to work. And so the outcome of proper self-examination is that we go up, And we bring and we build and we give ourselves with the help of God to do the work of God. I certainly am very aware that in these days of COVID there's been many hindrances in the work of God. And I don't want the Lord's people to ever become content with simply doing the bare minimum that we uh, become comfortable all these ministries have fallen away for a season, for a season. Well, we quite like our Saturday afternoons and we, oh, we don't really mind if we don't have to go out on a Friday night for some extra meeting or some time in the Word. Well, we certainly don't really want to be involved in going and meeting people again. After all, social distancing wasn't such a bad thing after all. We find ourselves with a failure to do the work of God. So examine, consider your ways as I consider my ways. And may God help us to discern his will for our days as a church at this time.